Hi, I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokesman.com. And I'm Mary Pat Truthart, part-time film critic, full-time law professor at Gonzaga University School of Law. And I'm Nathan Weinbender, also a film critic for Spokane Public Radio. And welcome to Movies 101, the show that's approaching its 25th year of existence, which begs the question, where have all the years gone? Gone to popcorn heaven, everyone, if you want to know. As we enter this new year, though, we always like to take at least one show and look back at the highs and occasional lows of the past 12 months. And that's what we're going to do this week. First, each of us will run down his or her choices for the best of what we saw. Then after a break, we'll return to list what other features that 2023 had to offer. So without further ado, let's begin. Mary Pat, why don't you start us off? Well, I feel very privileged to go ahead of the two official film critics to give my list of the best films of 2023. So the first ones that I'm mentioning are actually ones that I think will appear on one or both of your lists. So just in the order that I wrote them down, not in any particular hierarchy, I have Return to Soul, Past Lives, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Bo is Afraid, Four Things, Anatomy of a Fall, Four Daughters, A Thousand and One, and Theater Camp. So when I looked back at my selections, and this may bleed into another focal point of our discussion later, I guess the thing that struck me about each of these films really were these spectacular performances by the lead actors. And I have some others that I would call out a little bit later. But if I look at each of them, I think that there were performances that just resonated for me. And so to call out a few, Oppenheimer, Robert Downey Jr., amazing performance. I didn't even recognize him initially. Killers of the Flower Moon, Lily Gladstone, I thought she was amazing. Poor Things, Emma Stone, I don't know what we're going to do in terms of an Academy Award for Best Leading Actress because there were so many notable performances, but she was great. Anatomy of a Fall, Sandra Hewler, and I probably liked Anatomy of a Fall more than the two of you did because it's law-themed, and at least half of the film concerns this court case, which of course I appreciated. Four Daughters is really challenging to talk about because it's a documentary, and it's not because it uses real people and actresses to play the different parts. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. A Thousand and One, Tayana Taylor, a story of a woman who's struggling to get by in Queens, New York. And then finally, Theater Camp, I thought had the best ensemble group of any film that I saw last year with Molly Gordon and Ben Platt and Jimmy Tatro and Ida Berry. So I think that's what sort of drove my selections. That's a good list, and it's a different list. Nathan, why don't you go? Tell us yours. If you haven't already published it all over the Inland Northwest. Yeah, I had to submit my list to the Inlander a few weeks ago. And so there were some things that I hadn't seen yet by the time that I made it, but I'm just going to stick with what I printed. And I think if I have to come up with some kind of unifying theme of the 10 movies that I picked, it was, I guess ambition of some kind, regardless of what genre it was in, I gravitated towards movies this year that were sort of 
pushing the edges of their envelope a little bit, whether it was a big action movie or a small character piece. And also looking back at 2023, I had a hard time winnowing my list of things that I really liked down to 10. So even just looking at the honorable mentions on my list, which include Past Lives and The Holdovers and Anatomy of a Fall and Asteroid City, I think in another year, those easily would have made my top 10. But I guess I just found ones that fit the bill a little bit more for me. So I did number mine. So I'll go down from 10 to one, starting with number 10, which is John Wick chapter four, believe it or not, which I think is the rare American blockbuster that actually takes seriously the art form of the action sequence. Just a beautifully made movie. Number nine, Priscilla by Sofia Coppola. Number eight, the first international film on my list, The Beasts, which is kind of an underseen gem, I think, about warring farms in rural Spain. I saw that twice and really, really liked it. Number seven, I think this is going to come up maybe one more time, but Yorgos Lanthimos's Four Things with that amazing performance from Emma Stone. As you mentioned, MP, I think Mark Ruffalo also is incredibly funny in it. Just a strange take on the Frankenstein mythos and a really imaginative fairy tale slash satire about empowerment and self-actualization. Number six, a movie from France that I think is also kind of underseen. It's called Full Time, this really gritty drama about a working mother and a public transportation strike and just how she maneuvers to get to work every day. Number five, this is the first time this has happened in years, but the highest grossing movie of the year made my top 10 list. That's Greta Gerwig's Barbie. I'm such a huge fan of that film, as is, it seems, a lot of other people. Number four, coming up again here, Return to Soul, which is just a great character study from director Davy Chow. Number three, Todd Haynes's May, December. I've also seen this movie twice. Can't stop thinking about it. Can't stop raving about it. One of those movies that people keep pulling me aside and going, have you seen May, December yet? We have to talk about it. So that's always a good sign. Number two, I also love Bo is Afraid, directed by Ari Aster. His kind of nightmare freak out starring Joaquin Phoenix. Just so singular, so sick, so funny. Love that movie. I know not everyone else does. I'm glad you're on Team Bo is Afraid with me, MP. And then number one, it seems like an obvious choice, but I went with Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, I mean, just looking back at everything we saw this year, no film was more ambitious, was more challenging, really, than this one was. It feels like a last film of its kind in so many ways. Scorsese's 81 and he's still challenging us and challenging himself. So that's my list. Kind of all over the place, some weird ones in there, but lots of alignment so far. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be any surprise that my list is going to include some of the same ones we've been talking about. But I wanted to begin by talking about the movies that I haven't seen that haven't played here in Spokane yet or that we haven't had a chance to see. Ferrari, American Fiction, The Color Purple, The Iron Claw, Zone of Interest, All of Us Strangers. I'm sure that some of those would make my list had I had a chance to see them, but I haven't had to. My list is as typical. It's very eclectic, but it begins with Return to Soul, one that we both talked about, and it's just a wonderful film. Here's a surprise. Air, directed by Ben Affleck, the story of Nike. Matt Damon and Viola Davis are just two superb performances. Rye Lane, a little uh, romance out of Great Britain, which was directed by Rain Allen Miller. It was just a sweet little touching movie. 
RMN, a Romanian movie by writer-director Christian Munju about women in a small Romanian village. It's just a heartbreaking film. We've talked about past lives. Wonderful movie, not just with Greta Lee and Tao Yu, but John Magaro, who's turned out to be a really fine independent actor. Oppenheimer, the Christopher Nolan movie, is just so superb in so many ways and a great performance by Killian Murphy. Unlike the rest of you, well, we all are big fans of Wes Anderson. And I had to really choose between Asteroid City, but I decided to go with the four short films he did, the Roll Doll adaptations, The Wonderful World of Henry Sugar, The Swan, Ratcatcher, and Poison. They're all screening on Netflix. They're all amazing movies starring people like Benedict Cumberbatch, Ray Fiennes, Def Patel, Ben Kingsley. I got two more. And one of them is doesn't count. The best movie experience I had of 2023. And that was watching the re-release of Stop Making Sense. I could not keep still in my seat. I kept moving around. It was such a wonderful and we went experience. the first night at absolutely. 10 p.m. Yeah, yeah. it absolutely. was amazing. Yeah. I'm not sure that counts though, Webster. Sure it does. Okay. It played in 2023. The only one I've numbered is my number one. And it's on both of your lists. It's also Nathan's number one, Killers of the Flower Moon. Martin Scorsese has been a great filmmaker for the past four decades. And this is, if not his best film, it certainly ranks among his top three. I liked everything about it. I've never spent three hours in a movie theater that felt more like 90 minutes than with this film. So that's my list. And that's all our lists. And I would just say, hey, there are a couple of films on Nathan's in my list that didn't show up on yours. Four oh. Things, Bo is Afraid. Could you explain that to us? Yeah, because I'm going to say that in the second half <laughs> of the show, when we come back and talk about great performances and or great engaging moments of the year, I will mention those movies then. They would have made my honorary list, but I'm not like Nathan. I don't come up with honorary films. I think it's called honorable mention yeah, films. Whatever. At any rate. That was our choices for what we considered the best movies that the year 2023 had to offer. This is Movies 101, and it's time to take a short break. Before we go, remember that you can access podcasts and Movies 101 by going online at SpokanePublicRadio.org. While there, check out the individual reviews that Nathan and I write. Don't do it now, though, because we'll be right back to further discuss the past year in film. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. Subscribe to your favorite public radio programs when you become a Spokane Public Radio sustainer, just like any news or entertainment service you use. But unlike those other services, you decide how much you want to pay. Set up an electronic funds transfer and monthly installments will be withdrawn automatically from your account. Plus, you can start or stop your subscription anytime you want. As a sustainer, you help make your public radio station strong. You support your favorite programs, and you never have to wonder when to renew. You're part of the community that sustains public radio. Call 509-328-5729 during business hours or go online to SpokanePublicRadio.org. Click the red Donate button and start the process. Working together, we make our community a better place to work, play, and listen.
and we're back. This is Movies 101, and I'm your host, Dan Webster. During the first half of the show, Mary Pat Truthart, Nathan Weinbinner, and I each listed our choices for what we considered to be the best films of 2023. Let's continue with our yearly wrap-up by mentioning some of the best and worst aspects of watching movies over the past year. And Mary Pat challenged me in the first half when I failed to mention the movie Poor Things among my best films. They would have made my honorable mention list. But the one thing I will say about Poor Things is, in terms of engaging performances, Emma Stone as Bella Baxter, it's an amazing performance. I mean, she spends half the movie nude, which is what some critics call brave and courageous. But that's not what makes it amazing. The movie itself is a blend of Frankenstein and My Fair Lady. And she is a person who is revived, reanimated. And I won't go into the details, but she has to play a baby, a toddler, a teenager, and a growing adult. And it is probably the most feminist movie I've seen in years. And it's an amazing performance by Emma Stone. Yeah, totally agree. I'm hoping that we can review that in full in the coming weeks, because obviously we all really admire it. Thinking back to 2023 and just kind of the moment scenes, performances, whatever that stick out to me. I mean, we have to make a mention of the Barbenheimer phenomenon, which took over theaters in the summer when these two huge auteur-driven blockbusters were released on the same day, seemingly diametrically opposed in so many ways. And they were both massive hits, both critically and commercially. Both of them show up on our top 10 lists in various capacities. And it just kind of felt like the first year since the pandemic that the movies were back and that people were talking about them again as if they had, you know, social currency. And so I thought that was really special. And it it's an added bonus that both of the movies were good. And I think that people are trying to have fun with popular culture again. So that whole Barbenheimer phenomenon was notable. I mean, now we have Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. And who is not obsessed with that storyline? Oh, I guess only one person is obsessed. But I will bring up that one of my surprise moments of last year was actually seeing Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour in the theater. And I thought that there were aspects of that performance that even in the theater, not live, were amazing. I mean, when she dives into the stage, I mean, I thought that was like just amazingly beautiful and gorgeous. So that was one of my memorable moments, strangely enough. Mm -hmm. Another movie that didn't make my list, but certainly made an impact on me over the year was Greta Gerwig's Barbie. And I was trying to think of a single moment in which I really enjoyed the film. And it had to do with Ryan Gosling. Yes. This guy has such a great comic persona and comic timing. And his character, Ken, he's talking about the patriarchy. He says, which, to my understanding, is where men and horses run everything. And the best moment is when he goes, to be honest, when I found out the patriarchy wasn't just about horses, I lost interest. That, to me, was one of the great moments of Barbie. I agree. Yeah. And I'm Ken. That was quite the splashy ensemble performance. That's a perfect segue to what I wanted to talk about, because uh, looking back at sort of my favorite scenes and moments in movies from 2023, most of the ones that like leapt to the top of my mind 
were musical in nature, not just the several musical numbers in Barbie. I mean, that movie just breaks out into song in several instances, including I'm Still Ken, but also that wonderful dance sequence that happens in the movie Poor Things, which is just so strange and funny. But I was also thinking about a little Italian movie that we reviewed a few months ago called La Immensità with a great Penelope Cruz performance. That's another movie that kind of out of nowhere becomes a musical three or four times. And those scenes all really stuck with me. I was also thinking about the dance sequence in Return to Soul, where our main character, when she realizes she's uncomfortable in a conversation, just kind of breaks off and starts dancing. And it's the moment where I think the movie completely just takes lift off. There were also a couple of musical scenes in movies that I didn't like, but I thought they were really effective uses of music. The naked dance scene at the end of Saltburn is certainly memorable. And also the big Mahler sequence in Bradley Cooper's Maestro. I thought those were great uses of music in movies that otherwise didn't really work for me. And then, of course, just the soundtracks of the year, not only Priscilla, which is a given because Sofia Coppola always puts together a good soundtrack, but the Holdovers had such a good soundtrack, as did The Killer, the David Fincher film, which was filled with Smith songs. And you can bet that I was listening to a lot of the Smiths this winter. And I got to say, another movie that a lot of people kept coming up to me and asking me if I had seen was the Wham! documentary. So if anything, 2023 was the year of both Barbie and Wham! So that's a win. Okay, good to know. I mean, I guess for me, coming from more of an academic perspective, there were two movies that focused on academe, albeit in different contexts. And Nathan, you made reference to one of them, and that was The Holdovers with an amazing performance by Paul Giamatti. And then also Dream Scenario, which was a quirky movie featuring Nicolas Cage. And he is, you know, a struggling, burned out professor who has his 15 minutes of fame, and we see what happens to him as a result of that. So those felt very comfortable and uncomfortable to me in some of the same ways. And you had mentioned Paul Giamatti in Holdovers. I think both of you have talked about that. I was really impressed with Divine Joy Randolph, who in every single scene, she would put the Giamatti character in his place. It was a marvelous performance. And thinking of the end of Saltburn, I was going to mention that. But I would also mention the ending of a Netflix film called Leave the World Behind, in which a young girl finally finds a copy of the final episode of Friends. And, you know, it makes a statement about the entire film. But if there was a moment that really stuck with me throughout the year, it was in Maestro. And it's the moment in which the Leonard Bernstein character, played by Bradley Cooper, has to admit to his daughter, has to lie to his daughter about rumors involving his sexual peccadilloes under orders from his wife, played by Carrie Mulligan. And there's a long moment in which he's staring at her and it lasts for several seconds. And you know what's going through his head is, can I lie to this young woman I love? Yeah, yeah, I will. It was a marvelous moment. A couple other performances that we haven't mentioned yet, but that have stuck out in my mind over the last 12 months. Anatomy of a Fall has come up and you mentioned Sandra Hewler. I mean, that may be my favorite performance of the year. The movie has some issues for me, but that performance has none. It is really, really tremendous work. I hope she gets a lot more film roles after this, even though she's been working steadily for a long time. I also really liked Michelle Williams in the Kelly Reichert film, Showing Up. Really understated, subtle work in a movie that might be a little too understated for my taste, but I loved what Michelle Williams was doing. 
And also all of the cast, but especially Franz Rogowski in Iris Sachs's film Passages, he plays just a dirtbag and he is so compelling, but yet you just want to run away from him at the same time. And I got to give a shout out to, you know, I don't think we give enough credit to comic performances. I got to give a shout out to Jennifer Lawrence for No Hard Feelings. Not the best movie in the world. I can't really remember most of the stuff I laughed at in it. But it's really nice to see a movie star who hasn't been in anything in a long time come back to the big screen and just put it all out there and be a total fall down kind of goofball. And so I, I got to give her credit for that. I laughed a lot at that movie, too, even though other people have been more critical. But I wanted to give a special mention to Charles Melton in May, December, because, you know, you think that you've typecast these people. And I would say the same thing about Jacob Alordi who was in Priscilla and also was in Saltburn, you know, you think, oh, they're these pretty boys and, you know, they're not really actors. And then he comes across with this really nuanced performance of this boy who's married his former teacher. And I was really struck by that particular performance. Yeah. And I want to add on that. I was a big fan of Franz Rogowski. I mean, he plays such a dirtbag character, but throughout the entire film, you can't take your eyes off this guy. It's just an incredible performance. And I think Mary Pat mentioned this too. Tayana Taylor in A Thousand and One. That is a brave performance and it has nothing to do with, with nudity. Okay. Say, well, we have to talk about Bo is Afraid. Talking about great performances. As, oppo as opposed to you. I have seen it twice. I think Nathan's probably seen it seven times. It is an amazing performance by a guy who won an Academy Award for The Joker, Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, it's an interior film about what's happening in this guy's mind, and you can see the influences on him. And again, just when we think we figured out who the villain is in this particular film, then we're sort of like, hmm, I don't know about that. So Nathan and I both were huge fans, but Dan just had an anxiety attack. Both as, times. As he did in full time when yeah, that woman was trying to get to her job. Yeah. yeah. Well, at any rate, that ends our annual look back at the movie year that was. This is Movies 101. I'm Dan Webster, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Nathan Weinbender and Mary Pat Truthart. Let's take this moment to thank Cassia Fox for both producing and engineering the show. And we thank you to our loyal listeners. And we invite you back next week, same time, same spot, on the radio dial, when we'll again check out all the best that cinema has to offer wherever we can find it. Until then, consider these words from that master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock. If it's a good movie, the sound could go off and the audience would still have a pretty clear idea of what was going on. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101.